Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series entitled Christianity's Family Tree. In this series, we're exploring the different branches and denominations of the Christian church. Join us now for the message, Lutheranism, Here I Stand. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I'm Jane Grainer and I'm the senior pastor. And I'm Wesley McCall and I'm the music director. And we would like to welcome all of you for joining us with worship today, particularly if it may be your first time to worship with us. Later on, I'm going to be asking you all a question. Be thinking about it right now. Who do you think was the most influential person in history between the years 1000 AD and 2000 AD? The most influential person in history between the year 1000 and the year 2000. Think about that. If you have an answer, post it in our Facebook feed, and we'll be talking about that a little later on during the sermon. And this is part of our sermon series we're in right now called Christianity's Family Tree. And so we'll be looking at all the different branches and denominations of the Christian church uh, over the next few weeks ahead. As usual, we'll also be taking live prayer requests. So if you have a joy or a concern or request a blessing, again, just post it there in our Facebook feed, and we'll get to that just a little later on in the service. I also invite you to, if you have not done so already this week, to give an offering to the ministry of this church so we can keep this live cast going and continue to get our church building back in usable condition again. You can do this through our website, tumcd.org. You can just mail a check to the church, or you can give through our church center app. You can also give to our September 
rail communion, uh, communion rail offering, which is going to the United Methodist Committee on Relief. It is going to their Afghanistan fund. So we can continue to support the people of Afghanistan as well as the refugees that will soon be here in our country. And speaking of communion, you may not be aware, but next Sunday, October 3rd, is World Communion Sunday. It's always the first Sunday in October. And my understanding is that the last meeting of United Methodist Women, there was some talk about how some people missed sharing the sacrament together. And so since it should be excellent weather, we are planning to have an in-person worship service next Sunday at our regular time, 11 o'clock, there on the back lawn of our church. The weather report says it's just going to look just gorgeous, and we miss seeing each other. We miss sharing the com uh, our communion elements with one another, and I promise it'll be real communion elements, real bread, real grape juice, not those manufactured wafers that we had to use there for a while. Uh, it'll be real food that we actually consume. But again, just bring your lawn chairs or even a blanket uh, to the back lawn of the church next Sunday, 11 o'clock, for our in-person worship service. We'll include Holy Communion. We're also going to include some hymn singing, which I've also greatly missed uh, over the last, <laughs> well, we're going at like a year and a half. The last year and a half, I've really missed congregational uh, singing. We will still be live casting on Facebook. So if you can't make it, then go ahead and join us as you normally do on Facebook Live. Uh, that will be going on as usual. But my hope is as many of you as possible will be able to come and share worship together with us and maybe get a glimpse of the latest um, progress on the church building. To let you know that we have recently, we have a partnership with Smith Elementary, which is just around the corner from our church. We've recently donated some disposable masks to Smith. And if you'd like to be part of that project, if you could bring any child size mask and put them in the biz box at the front door of our church, and we'll make sure those get on to Smith Elementary. And just to let you know, we've been providing them with some other needed things for their classrooms because we may not be able to send them to the symphony this year as we have in years past. And we still want to give as much support to the teachers and staff and students of Smith Elementary as possible. To remind you, we have our three connection groups that meet every week. Two meet on Sunday mornings at 930. We have our UM Disciplines class that meets via Skype and our Lyft class, which meets via Zoom. This morning, they started a new study, a new book, Faithful Witness in a Fractured World, Models for an Authentic Christian Life. And as I said, they got started this morning. There's still plenty of time to join this study. Uh, the books are $17, and you can purchase those also through our Church Center app. And then on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock, we have our pastor's Bible study via Zoom. And if you want more information about any of this, uh, just contact the church and we'll be ha happy to share that information with you. And so, so now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with this centering psalm. From Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me be ever put to shame. In your righteousness, Deliver me. Incline your ear to me. 
Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts haughtily. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. And now for our opening prayer. God of all generations, as we contemplate the beginnings of the Reformation, we remember mothers and fathers in the faith who took bold steps in new directions to reform your church. Pour out your spirit upon us that we too may dream dreams, see visions, and view the whole created order as your bountiful temple. With joy, we pledge ourselves to reform the church for our day. In Christ's name, amen. And even though we cannot be together in the same space, we are together in the same time. So my prayer for you is peace be with you. Prayer for illumination for this morning. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Both of our scripture readings this morning come, come from the New Testament. The first is Romans chapter 3. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement, by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And our second reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of God for the people of God. 
Do you remember back in the late 1990s how we were all just so concerned about Y2K? We became obsessed with it. We were thinking as the calendar clicked from December 31st, 1999 to January 1st, the year 2000, would the computers of all the world just cease to be able to function because they would all think it was now the year 1900? Would the electrical grid go down? Would all communications cease? Would civilization melt down? into a final cataclysmic apocalypse. Well, I had my doubts that really any of these things would happen, that we would probably only experience a few glitches, but out of an abundance of caution, just to be extra sure, on the night of December 31st, I filled up my bathtub with water, just so if there was a cataclysmic apocalypse, we would at least have some drinking water for a few days to tide us over. Of course, January 1st, 2000 came and went, and all we experienced were a, a few glitches. We were fine otherwise, and after a few days, the water in the tub started to form a, a, a film of cat fur on the top of it. So I decided to go ahead and drain the water out because at that point, if I had drank any, I would have gotten a hairball. One of the most interesting aspects of, turn, of the turning of the millennium was the opportunity to assess how the world had changed in that last 1,000 years. And along those lines, uh, I don't know if any of y'all saw this program at the time, but the A&E channel decided to produce an extended version of their uh, television program biography, and it was entitled The 100 Most Influential People of the Millennium. Well, as the name suggests, the show profiled the top 100 people that they considered to have been the most influential in the course of world history since the year 1000 AD. And so again, I want some audience, some congregational participation here. Do any of you want to guess who the number one most influential person was whom they listed on their list? Go ahead, post it there to Facebook, and let's see if any of us come up with the right answer. The program started with the 100th most influential person uh, of the last millennium. And I don't think any of you would have named this person, but it was Suleiman I the greatest sultan of the Ottoman Empire. And from there, they continued through the list, going over the life and legacy of such figures as number 85, Ronald Reagan, number 54, Marco Polo, number 28, Johann Sebastian Bach, number 14, Thomas Jefferson. Finally, they got to the top 10. And I suspect maybe most of you posted one of the following names. Uh, there were certainly names that ran through my mind at the time. Number 10, Galileo. Number nine, Nicholas Copernicus. Number eight, Albert Einstein. Seven, Karl Marx. Six, Christopher Columbus. Five, William Shakespeare. Four, Charles Darwin number three, Martin Luther, and number two, Isaac Newton. Now, if it makes you feel any better, I don't think I would have ever guessed uh, about the person that they judged to have exerted the most influence on history the last millennium. 
But once the show announced the name of this person, it was like, well, of course, who else could it be? I wouldn't have come up with this, but once I heard the name, I had to absolutely agree with them. And according to uh, Janice, who is watching our Facebook feed, there are two of you that did guess correctly. The most influential person of the last millennium was Johann Gutenberg, the inventor in 1450 of the movable type printing press. I think Michael Wesley said Gutenberg and Jan Knoll had guessed the, the invention of the printing press. So we, we got two winners. Y'all are both, you get the Smarties prize for today for coming up with Gutenberg and the printing press. But the movable type printing press just revolutionized the world by making mass printing possible. And this was, the printing press was the first form of mass communication. Uh, that the world had ever seen. And without it, we couldn't have done the Renaissance or the scientific revolution or the, um, <laughs> we couldn't have done the scientific revolution or the industrial revolution or had a rapid increase in literacy or the rise of the middle class or the spread of freedom and democracy. None of these things, none of them would have happened without the printing press. The printing press was a forerunner for every other form of mass communication that we have since experienced. The telegraph, the telephone, radio, television, the internet, social media. It all started with a movable type printing press. And one other movement that would have never been possible without the printing press was the Protestant Reformation. Without the printing press, the 95 Theses of Martin Luther, number three on our list, would never have been distributed throughout the region. It would have never caught the attention of the religious authorities and those who were becoming increasingly alienated by the corruption that existed in the Catholic Church at that time. Now, as most of you know, Martin Luther was the 16th century Roman Catholic priest who set, uh, who, who set the Protestant Reformation, set it going. The beginning is dated as October 31st, 1517, and the Sunday preceding October 31st, which will be coming up here in just a few weeks, is called Reformation Sunday. And just four years ago in 2017, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. But before he was a fearless firebrand, Martin Luther was a very scared young man. Luther spent the first decades of his life in mortal fear of God. He despaired of ever being able to please God or attain salvation. He believed that the sinfulness of humankind was so pervasive that it was unlikely that he would ever be able to escape damnation. Now, not only did Luther fear God, he later confessed that he was growing increasingly angry toward God for even creating humankind and setting up humankind in this impossible situation, he admits that he even began to feel feelings of hatred toward God. Well, Luther was born in a very prosperous German family in the year 1484, and he was sent to law school as a young man. But one day in 1505, at the age of 21, Luther was caught outside during a very dangerous thunderstorm. It was vicious, and he was very nearly killed by lightning. In desperation, he called out to St. Anne for deliverance, and he promised God 
that if he survived the storm, then he would become a monk. Well, he survived the storm, and much to the chagrin of his family, he left law school and became an Augustinian monk. He was later ordained a priest in 1507. Now, Luther was eventually sent to teach at the university in Wittenberg, Germany, sent there to teach theology. And in 1515, he began to teach Paul's letter to the Romans. And adding credence to the idea that the best way to learn something is to teach it, the more Luther taught Paul's epistle to the Romans, the more he learned about Paul's epistle to the Romans, and the more that the message of Romans began to really sink into his mind and then sink into his heart. He finally began to see that salvation was a gift from God and that he did not have to be good enough. He didn't have to be good enough. He didn't have to do anything to earn salvation. All he had to do was to have faith in Jesus Christ, that God had truly loved, that, that God truly loved him and had truly forgiven him. He later wrote, Then I grasp that through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and who have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Now that Luther truly understood God's grace, several of the practices of the 16th century church began to bother him. Chief among these was the sale of indulgences. Now to raise money, the church allowed an individual to make a contribution to the church, this was called an indulgence, that would offset the amount of time that a soul had to spend in purgatory. Now, purgatory was believed to be a state where a dead person's soul was purified from sin by going through fire before being admitted into heaven. Indulgences could be purchased either for oneself or for a loved one. Ad, began, ad campaigns uh, were born that really poured on the guilt, telling people that while they were enjoying all the worldly pleasures that money could buy, Good old mom or dad was suffering in the flames of purgatory and in the agony of that state. And if you truly loved them, then you would cough up some money, cough up some cash so they could leave the flames of purgatory and be welcomed into heaven. Well, in order to raise money to build both St. Paul's Cathedral and to have Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel, there was a new drive to sell indulgences. And the local seller of indulgences there in Germany even had a jingle. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Essentially, you could buy your own way or your loved one's way out of purgatory and into heaven. Well, Luther wrote his very famous 95 Theses condemning this practice. And the 95 Theses were a list of 95 criticisms that Luther had about the sale of indulgences and about the state of the Catholic Church in general. And as the famous story goes, he nailed his lists of theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, where he was teaching on October 31st, 1517. And thus, October 31st is considered the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. This was a watershed moment in history, and not only uh, 
not only in the history of the church, but in the history of the world. That's why you had Martin Luther coming in as number three on that list. Well, posting his theses on the church door in the 16th century, it was the equivalent of posting on social media. If you wanted to make a public statement, you wrote it down and you nailed it to the, the door of the local church. And once he nailed his 95 theses to the church door, the theses essentially, they, they went viral and they were quickly printed. Gutenberg's movable type printing press uh, printed them again and again and again. And as these theses were distributed, Luther swiftly gained notoriety and he was the first person in history to ever become a best-selling author. Well, eventually his arguments reached the attention of the Pope, who in 1520 issued a decree condemning Luther. In defiance, Luther publicly burned the papal decree. The following year, the Pope excommunicated him, and the emperor declared him an outlaw. So now the Protestant Reformation was really on. The next year at the Diet of Worms, and in this case, a diet refers to an assembly that was held in the German city of Worms. So the Diet of Worms is not a disgusting new weight loss program. It was actually an assembly in the German city of Worms. But there in the, in the year 1521 at the Diet of Worms, Luther was given a chance to renounce his writings and his teachings. But Luther, he thought, he asked if he could think about it overnight. But he came back the next day and he refused uttering his very famous phrase, here I stand, I can do no other. Well, Martin Luther was quite a character. He went on to translate the Bible into German. He later became happily married to an ex-nun with whom he had six children. He succeeded in never actually getting executed because he came under the protection of one of the local German princes. In fact, the one time that he very nearly lost his faith had nothing to do with his radical religious uh, movement or his arguments with the Pope. It was actually when his 12-year-old daughter died. But through all of his trials, Luther was able to hold on and as a result, totally transform the face of Western Christianity and indeed the face of Western civilization. Now, there are three principles that are considered foundational to Lutheran theology, which are known as the solas. Sola scriptura, sola fide, and sola gratia. These Latin phrases are translated as scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. There are two other solos, solas that are often included, and then there are some theologians that want to add even more solas after that. But these first three are the three that are all agreed upon as being foundational to Lutheran theology and really by extension then Protestant theology. In the principle of sola scriptura or scripture alone, the Bible alone is considered to be the final authority for Christian belief and theology. The Bible is nothing less than the word of God revealed to humankind by divine inspiration. So all church tradition, uh, all the creeds, all the teachings must conform to Scripture. And if a doctrine cannot be supported by Scripture, then it is non-binding on Christians. 
Now, by the by contrast, we'll we'll talk about uh, Wesleyan Methodism in a, in a later sermon. But by 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 contrast, Wesleyan theology does differ from other Protestant bodies in that we do also recognize tradition, experience, and reason as both legitimate sources and norms of theology as part of our Wesleyan quadrilateral, though we do say that Scripture does have primary authority. Well, in the scripture, excuse me, in the principle of sola fide, or faith alone, it is affirmed that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is apart from, from any kind of works or any kind of actions that we may perform or any kind of donation we may give to the church. Our good works are a response to God's invitation, not a prerequisite for salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. And so sola fide is closely related to the principle of then of sola gratia or grace alone. Our salvation is a gift from God that is enacted through God's initiative of grace. Even our ability to respond to God's invitation is in itself a result of God's gracious extension to us. Again, we cannot earn our salvation. It is a free gift from God enacted through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, one of the legacies of Protestant Reformation uh, along with these solas, is that we now have full access to the scriptures through the translation into the languages of the people. Before Martin Luther, the, the scriptures were only available in uh, Latin or Greek, and generally, because people were not educated in those languages, only clergy and people of the, of the church would be able to read scripture. And other people prior to Martin Luther had tried to translate the Bible into vernacular languages that had been um, they had been unsuccessful because they didn't have the, the advantage of the movable press uh, movable type printing press. I've mentioned before about my niece and family who um, they're on furlough right now, but they've been missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Just got a chance to connect with my niece yesterday at a family baby shower. Well, her husband Kevin has been instrumental in the translation of the New Testament into one of the indigenous languages of Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, by the way, happens to be uh, the most linguistic, um, has the most linguistic diversity of any place on the planet. Uh, Papua New Guinea, I think is, if I recall correctly, is, is smaller than Texas and yet has 800 indigenous languages. But Kevin has helped uh, translate the New Testament into one of these languages, and he and his team are currently working on the book of Genesis. Well, throughout history, there have been countless translators and biblical scholars who have given their lives so that they could read, so that we could read the Bible for ourselves. And some have given their lives through long careers in biblical scholarship, but others have literally given their lives so that we could have free access to the scriptures. People have been burned at the stake so that I could hold this English Bible now here in my hands. In a sense, every time that we pick up our Bibles and we read, read them, we are participating in the Protestant Reformation. Reading the Bible is an act of defiance. It is a subversive act 
that undermines all the evil that has its grip on this world. It questions our presuppositions and our preconceptions. Reading the Bible is an act, a radical act of freedom. This is my dad's Bible. Uh, I've kept it uh, even with all the notes and clippings that he kept in it uh, over the years. And so it means a great deal to me. So I ask you, how often are you availing yourself to the freedom we have to read the Bible for ourselves, the freedom for which people literally died for? I want to give you a challenge. Before the day is through, I challenge each one of you to go individually and read some portion of the Bible for yourself. Reread maybe one of your favorite stories from the Old Testament. Uh, just open up to anywhere in the Psalms and start reading. Uh, you can do the same thing with the Gospels and one of the stories or teachings of Jesus. Or you can reacquaint yourself with Paul's very famous tribute to love that we find in 1 Corinthians 13. But each one of you, I challenge you to do this sometime between now and the end of the day. Now, many of us consider ourselves to be progressive Christians, and our theology of Scripture may differ considerably from that of a fundamentalist or an evangelical Christian. But there is one thing that every biblical scholar, every church leader, every pastor, wherever they may fit on the theological spectrum, there's one thing that we all agree on. The Bible is holy ground. This is where you will encounter God. And I promise you that as you read the Bible and take time to read it and to wrestle with it, that you will have an encounter with the divine. And you will not be left unchanged. Another foundation of the Protestant Reformation is the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Uh, when I was growing up, clergy tended to refer to themselves as ministers, but nowadays clergy are often more uh, likely to refer to ourselves as pastors. And this because there's been kind of a shift in thinking. The reality is, is that all Christians are called to be ministers of the gospel. All Christians are called to be the body, that is the hands and feet of Christ in ministry to the world, in whatever circumstances you find yourself in life, the people around you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, uh, the cashier at the grocery store, the people that you pass by on the street, these people are your congregation, and these are the people that you are called to serve. Martin Luther believed that calling was not confined to priests and monks and nuns, you could be called to be a blacksmith or a shoemaker in medieval times, just like nowadays you can be called to be any one of a number of professions. Now, some of you are in careers or have been in careers that you really did consider a true calling. Uh, teachers, medical providers, artists, uh, first responders. Others of you may, may be in a job that you just kind of fell into without much planning. You just kind of happened to end up at this place in life. But regardless, you are a minister of Christ in those circumstances. You are a minister of Christ where Christ has called you to serve. One of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou goes like this. What is a fear of living? It is preeminently afraid of dying. It is not doing what you came here to do out of timidity and spinelessness. 
The antidote is to take full responsibility for yourself, for the time you take up and the space you occupy. If you don't know what you're here to do, then just do some good. So I also challenge you to go out and do some good. Also mention one other legacy that Luther left us, and that is the hymnody of the church. Prior to the Protestant reformations, it was only uh, the priests and the monks and the nuns who got to sing in church. And Luther believed that all the, church, all the people should be singing in church. And so as a result, not only did he translate the Bible into German, he also translated a lot of uh, music that previously the priests were singing, and now he translated that into German so the people could now start uh, singing hymns for themselves. And he believed in them so much that he even wrote a few himself. All the music uh, that Lauren is playing today, by the way, is music from Martin Luther, the most famous of which uh, is the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And if you recall, it begins with the words, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And he ends his great hymn with these words. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. So as ministers of Jesus Christ, let us never cease to be reformers of the world and a light to the world. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. That was beautiful as usual. Well, now we come to the place in our service where we lift up our joys and concerns to the Lord. And we have several things to pray for for today. One thing, we, uh, if I say a concern, then I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you please respond, hear our prayer. If I lift up a joy, I will say, this is the work of the Lord, and you please respond, thanks be to God. 
And we do have several concerns this morning. We want to, around the world, to continue to keep uh, the Afghan people in our prayers. Uh, the Afghans that are staying in Afghanistan, the Afghans that are fleeing the country, uh, the Afghans that oppose the Taliban, and we want to be praying for the Taliban themselves, that they may be able to hear clearly the word of God about how to best and most wisely rule the nation now that they are back in power. And we do want to then be especially lifting up uh, all uh, the girls and women of Afghanistan, as well as those of the LGBTQ community there. And to be praying for the Afghan refugees who will now be having to leave their home and settle in other parts of the world, and many of them will be coming to the United States. And so that's part of what our communion rail offering for September is about, uh, helping some of those Afghan refugees get resettled here. So we pray for, for those families as well. So for all Afghans everywhere, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer. And speaking of refugees, we want to keep the people of Haiti in our prayers as well. Uh, they have suffered a great deal of, of political assassination and earthquake, and now the tropical storms that have come their way. And as you've been reading in the news, we've had um, a refugee crisis of Haitians at our southern border. And so we want to be praying for the people of Haiti so that they will be able to find as a nation and as a people a way out of their current uh, problems and a way forward that gives the people hope. I want to pray specifically for those refugees who were at our southern borders, uh, whether they are uh, now going to be allowed to uh, perhaps come to the United States or they were flown back to Haiti either way. We want to be praying for them and keeping them in our prayers. And I also then want to be praying for the U.S. government. If there was an easy way to deal with immigration and refugees, we would have come up with it by now. This is dealing with immigration and, the, and refugees has been a perennial problem that every administration has had to face. And we've never had a great answer to these problems. It seems to take wisdom that seems to just elude us. So I'm praying for our national leaders that we may be able to come up with a just and fair way to deal with all the people that want to be part of our uh, United States of America, that we can deal with, with these people in, in a humane and wise way that cares for their needs and the needs for our nation. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the answers are to that, or at least not what all the answers are, other than you always treat people humanely and with the respect that every human being deserves. But I pray for, again, the people of Haiti, refugees around the world, and for our nation to be able to come up with good answers uh, to the questions of immigration. So, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We do have uh, several individuals that we want to be praying for. Um, Sarah Wilcox wants us to be keeping her mother-in-law, Gladys, in our prayers she is currently uh, being hospitalized with problems with her blood pressure and is undergoing some diagnostic tests so they can kind of figure out what's going on. So we want to keep Gladys in our prayers, as well as Sarah and the entire family, and to be praying also for Gladys's medical team so they can, be, uh, they can find the root of the problems that are going on there. So for Gladys, her family, and her medical team, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We want to be uh, continuing to hold up um, 
a friend of Kathy Norrod's, um, Sherry Howell, she is hospitalized with COVID and that battle continues. She's been in the hospital now for a while. So we want to be uh, keeping uh, Sherry as well as all of those who are still affected with the COVID virus, keep them in our prayers, their family, their friends, and their medical teams. So Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Um, Janice asked that we pray for her coworker, uh, Misty uh, Donahue, as she recovers from a stroke following two surgeries for a brain tumor. And she is a single mother of an autistic child. So Misty really does have some challenges here. So we want to keep Misty uh, and, and, her, and her family and her uh, child in our prayers, as well as her medical team, that they'll be able to face, find a way for Misty to be able to go forward in her recovery and to be able to get back to the child that she loves so much. So for Misty and her family and medical team, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer. Uh, Rachel Platts has uh, sent in two prayer requests. She wants, she prays for traveling mercies for her parents. Uh, they'll be stopping at their place for a night uh, on a month long journey to visit family and friends back east. And so we certainly pray for Rachel's parents that they uh, have a, a, a safe journey as they make this month long trek and that they also have a delightful reunion uh, with Rachel and um, her family there at her home. And so for Rachel's parents, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer. And she also asked then for birthday blessings for her husband, Tim, because his birthday is the 28th. That's two days from the day. So Tim, happy birthday. We hope that you have a wonderful birthday. And we pray God's blessings upon you and that you will have a great year looking ahead and that you will a year from now be able to look back and say, you know, this is one of the best years of my life. And so now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So your action item before the day is through, read at least one little passage from the Bible. And then remember during this upcoming week to just go out there and do some good and to be a minister of Christ out in this world. And so now receive this benediction. May God's spirit be poured upon you. May you dream dreams and see visions of God's reforming power. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love your neighbor and go in peace.
hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us next Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week, we'll be exploring the Presbyterian Church as we continue our sermon series, exploring the different branches and denominations of the church in Christianity's family tree. If you can't join us live, you can always listen to the recording of our service. You'll find that on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.